Thank you for coming to the podcast, Top Turtle MMA Podcast, brought to you as always by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu makes the most powerful mouthguard ever invented. It's designed with the athlete in mind and engineered to withstand even more impact than your average mouthguard. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouthguard in your mouth. I encourage you, head on over to sisuguard.com. Find the right Sisu mouthguard for your sport or activity. Sisu brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, which starts right now. are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. Of course, you can catch us there. It's our mother ship, but also TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. If you're new to the podcast, hey, thanks so much for coming. Here's the quick snapshot. We are two fight fans who love talking fights. This podcast is for fight fans, by fight fans, and we don't want to waste your time. We like to get right into it. We're not here to talk about our day or our hair or try to make you LOL, although I will say some pretty stupid sarcastic comments every (laughs) once in a while that I at least make Gumby laugh a little bit. But anyway, let's get right into it because that's what we do, Gumby. Last night, as of taping this right now, Alexander Gustafsson put a beat down on Glover Teixeira, got the TKO in the fifth round. What were your thoughts? I I mean, I think you got to give your... Tip your hat to Glover Teixeira for not going down before the fifth round. My God. I mean, the the uppercut was just, to me, not that he hasn't used uppercuts before because he's always used that, like, long uppercut. You're talking Gustafsson. Yeah, but the, the frequency of which he used it and the effectiveness of which he used it, to me was a big development from the last time we saw him. Well, you know, the last time we saw him, you had Jan Blankowitz stealing round one off of him, and I'm just thinking to myself, with all uh, everything Gus has been through, the war with John Jones, uh, the, the war with war DC, DC uh, getting knocked out in front of his home crowd with Rumble, you always just had it in the back of your head, and I said it on our preview show, is this a guy, you know, kind of on his way out, and it was really kind of a reaffirming performance that uh, he is, you know, top of the class. He, he is the top of the class, Really, when you think about it, he is the person who has come the closest to a title without winning one. And he is the person, other than Vitor locking John Jones in that arm bar in the round one of their fight, he is the person who has come the closest to actually beating John Jones. Yeah, I mean, if you put his fight against John Jones next to DC's fight with John Jones, he's miles in front of DC in terms of the potential to beat John Jones. Almost, yeah, killing the the king. I actually think he's a better stylistic matchup to fight John Jones when you think about it. Because, I mean, what's DC the best at? DC's the best at wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, but... You're not going to out-wrestle John Jones. At John Jones out-wrestled DC. Well, let's go from here because we keep bringing up the names. You know, DC Jones, they're slated to fight in late July, although we know how that goes. They've been slated to fight five times. They've <laughs> only fought once. What do you do next with Alexander Gustafsson? I mean, he, he took a, a couple of shots in there, and plus he put in 25 minutes of work. It would not surprise me to hear that he's going to take some time off and get the next title shot. And I think it's completely warranted. Whoa, with the whoa. Beat down he just Hold put on. on. Pump the brakes, Gumby. No, no. What about his uh, training partner and new BFF, Jimmy Manawa? No, you I, think I, he, he leapfrogs Manawa? I think he does leapfrog Manawa. I mean, not that Manawa is not deserving and hasn't put on crazy good performances I mean, lately. hey, devil's advocate to your point, Manawa is on a two-fight win streak. Yeah, well, I, I hear that too, but uh, also Manawa, let's let's talk about this. Manawa just knocked out who? Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson. 
Gus just knocked out who? Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira. Okay, that, there's night and day in its marketing value right there. And on top of that, you already have, you know, say John Jones goes and beats DC. You already have the, like, the buildup to that one. This is the guy who almost beat John Jones. Absolutely. So what do you do in that case? I mean, we're going to be playing some real uh, 2020 Monday morning QB booking here. What do you then do with Jimmy Manoa? I mean, I think Vulcan Ozdemir is a perfect matchup for him. I mean, he's the type of guy who's now on a really good run, right? He's still not that big name value, but two, you're, you don't really have any big name value in that division. Two fights in the UFC. He's 2-0. Uh, he beat Misha Serkinov with a KO in 28 seconds of the first round in the co-main event last night. Yep. And he's got to win over OSP. So at this point in time, like it's time for Vulcan Ozdemir to be fed to the wolves and see how he does. And it's time for Jimmy Manawa to maybe knock off one more prospect on his way up. All right. I want to step back one piece. Um, and I agree with you. At the very least, Gustafsson is in the mix somewhere for a title shot. And then, of course, it's a little awky because his BFF and training partner, Jimmy Manawa, who he has a win over, is also in that very same mix. So it'll be kind of interesting to see should one of them win the title. It's going to be hard for them to avoid fighting each other. Yeah. And, and they're... I've said this before. Neither of them have the frame to go to 85 because Manoa is fucking ripped and Gus is just a huge body. Big frame. And, and probably neither of them can go to heavyweight either. I mean, unless Gus put on like 20 or 30 pounds of like raw muscle, they're stuck at 205 together. Uh, it's very interesting. So, uh, you know, I also wanted to say to, to Glover, you know, I know, it, listen, <sighs> Gustafsson was favored in this fight. Gustafsson looked great. The spinning back elbow was something out of a video game. That being said, it does need to be brought up because it happened. Uh, Glover was poked in the eye in the first round, said going into the second round he can't see out of his eye. Being the man that he is, he said to the ref, no, I'm good. But that was just because he wanted to keep fighting and he wasn't going to be the guy that said, you know, oh, I don't know, that kind of annoying thing. Kind of tough when Alexander Gustafsson's circling away from him and he can't even see out of the eye. Um, I still give him a ton of credit just for how tough he is. It's gatekeeper status now. I mean, he would really need to go on some sort of impressive four, five fight win streak, beating every young, hungry prospect they beat at him or throw at him to uh, to get back into the mix. Or, you know what? He's 37. Unfortunately, he had a visa issue for six years during the prime of his career that kept him out of the UFC. You know, I'm not sure if we're seeing, you know, him closer to retirement, but I do just want to point out his performance, just taking those shots. He is so tough. And it reminded me of uh, Jessica Andrade, you know, two weeks ago against Joanna. Yeah, it's just a really, really, really good grappler and a really good power puncher coming up short against a much more technical opponent well that was the other thing that i couldn't get over if you remember last summer of course you do rumble with the uppercut to glover ended his night in about six seconds gustafson whipping punches at glover uppercuts took five rounds it took five rounds and three consecutive uppercuts in that fifth and, round and you just think about rumbles just like hey here's one uppercut good night uh rumble tweeted he's getting that itch again which <laughs> annoys me so much because it's like dog you retired two weeks ago <laughs> even if you're getting that itch why don't you keep that to yourself let it build a bit and then come this fall when we haven't seen or heard from you you know you maybe you tweet that out Surprise but us. this yeah. is just like you know because again Getting it was that itch. it was a 
weird uh, performance he put in against DC, mm-hmm. right? We all can agree, and we're, oh, he's got one foot out, and then now it's like, oh, he wants one foot back in. It kind of goes to the whole, like, rumble psychology. It's just like, he's a little all over the place. Yeah, I agree 100% on that one. Um, all right, so we spoke about it already. Vulcan Ozdemir knocked out uh, Misha Serkinov within 28 seconds. Little fluky. He got him perfectly behind the ear as Misha was actually rushing in and getting the best of Vulcan. Uh, you already said you'd like to see Vulcan against, you know, probably a Jimmy Manoa. What do you make of Misha Serkinov, though? 4-0 and in the UFC, just had that huge contract dispute with Dana White, comes in, and what a letdown of a fight, huh? I mean, I, I think, actually, I thought about this for a good while after the fight, because I, I was shocked. I thought this was Serkinov's fight all along. Um, I, I think that this is a fight that does wonders for Ozdemir's career and wonders for Serkinov's career, and here's why. Ooh, explain. I mean, Ozdemir's career obviously just took a huge trajectory. He got a 28-second knockout of a highly ranked opponent, and now he's you know top four or five in the division right now. Serkinov is going to gain a lot from this fight in the terms of he needs to learn how to keep his cool when he feels like he's tagging somebody. Yes. He needs to learn how to smart fight a smart fight. He's never had to fight a smart fight. He's never been in there with a guy who is going to clip him at any point in time, and that's what happened. He powered forward because he felt like good things were happening. And if he had taken the Alexander Gustafson route, kept his wits about him, and executed whatever game plan he was going to execute, he would have beat Volkan Ozdemir. That's, that's a fact. Okay, uh, but instead, he rushed in like a wild man, wound up... I mean, when that punch landed, his nose was pretty much against the cage. Yeah, well, I actually kind of thought he didn't have a lot of room against the cage, and that might have kind of added to it. I am not, I'm no scientist on the physics of getting hit, but uh, it just sort of seemed like it was just a bad spot and perfect timing, and uh, this is what I thought of. So, you know, we're Team Misha on this show, right? Yeah, we're, I'm, we're both I mean, I'm, super I'm a high fan of both of those guys, but, but, but I'm, I was I, really high on certain. I'm a bigger fan of Misha because I find him to be more well-rounded, mm-hmm. especially with the grappling. Uh, but this is what I was reminded of when I watched that fight. I thought of back in 2012, there was a heavyweight prospect in the UFC who was 3-0, and had a knockout of the night, had two knockouts out of his three fights in the UFC. Everyone was crunk on him, uh, to borrow a phrase from Brendan Schaub. And uh, he walked right into a Stefan Struve straight uh, (laughs) jab and got knocked out. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's Stipe Miocic. That's exactly what I thought of. I just thought of Stipe. I I mean, it it does. And you can think of a lot about other people who that's happened to, too. You know, not that it was in, um, I I mean, it was in a more high profile fight. You could say the same thing about Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez mowed through fucking everybody. Then Cain Velasquez fought JDS and was knocked out in, what was it? 30, 11 seconds. Yeah, 39 yeah, seconds ridiculous. on Fox or something yeah. like that. The UFC on Fox debut. Yes. Got knocked out. After that, went back to being untouchable. Right. I mean, beat, beat JDS brutally <laughs> in the rematch. Yeah. I mean, so uh, to me, I think this is a fight he learns from, and he learns how to, how to deal with that. And, and we're in a, a place where he's one of the best fighters in that division in a very short period of time. We'll call it third from the top. You had uh, German fighter Peter Sabata defeating uh, our boy Ben Saunders with a knee in the second round. What do you think? I, I was really impressed he was able to keep it standing, um, which is really, really smart. Because I know Peter Sabata is a black belt. And, uh, I mean, when you're a black belt, the, 
a black belt in what? A jiu-jitsu. Yeah, he's a jiu-jitsu Peter Sabato's a jiu-jitsu black belt? Yeah, unless I'm mistaken. Hang on. We'll, we'll put the intern on it. Oh, because my whole thinking was, oh, my God, I can't wait for Ben Saunders to get him to the ground well, and well, work and, his jits. And he I, did, I, actually, I think a lot of point, people but. thought about that, too. But, like, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he's a black belt. But he said before he's a black belt who knows he shouldn't be on the ground with Ben Saunders. Right, yeah. You know, so, like... Yeah, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Dean Lister. Uh, well, that is legitimate that, then, that's sir. A fairly good black belt. <laughs> but that, that's the crazy thing, right? I thought this was going to be a grappling match. A black belt under Dean Lister versus a black belt under, what was it, uh, Ricardo Levero. Uh, yeah. And I know ATT. he trains with 10th Planet a and lot, he t- too. Yeah. Trains with 10th Planet. Ben Saunders, that is. So I was hoping it would get to the ground so we could see some of that crazy Ben Saunders stuff and we could see what Sabata's really made of. I think Sabata's game plan was way smarter. I mean, he knew he was way faster than Ben Saunders, and he proved he was way faster than Ben Saunders. Also, I I have to say this about Peter Sabana. Kind of a fun prospect to think about at 170 right now. Um, He's in his second stint in the UFC. Is that correct? Yeah. Second stint. You pointed that out to me. Yeah. So he's 4-1 in the second stint. Now as a win over Ben Saunders, which is legitimate. Ben Saunders. Kind of a fluky loss to Kyle Noak on a a body kick, like a liver kick, in that that's the only loss. And he's only 30 years old. I mean, like, so, you know, he's got a really bright future, possibly. Uh, as far as the rest of the card, uh, what would be if someone missed this card, Gumby, who's a fighter they should go back and watch for a good performance or what's a fight they should go back You've and watch? You got to go back and watch the two hardest names on the card to say, and that's Demir Hadzovic, uh, beating Marcin Held. Marcin Held just absolutely dominated him for two rounds. Even though he's up two rounds to none, he goes for an Imanari roll and takes a knee square to the face on the way down, out cold. No follow-up punch needed. Uh, so that one's, I mean, just a finish you have to watch. And then the other one is uh, Bojan Velichevich uh, fought Nico Musoke. Uh, just a, an absolutely clinic of jelly legging somebody if you've ever enjoyed somebody getting hit and watching their legs like bow and back forth musoki was on his feet out cold for like three seconds before velichevic got the second punch in highly entertaining to watch i suggest going back and catching that awesome well thank you for that uh let's see let's go through the news real quick what do you say let's do that let's all switch right it up. um so it was announced uh, well, first off, let's start with this. The person in the news probably the most this past week, other than Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> was Chris Cyborg. First, uh, at the UFC Athlete Summit, video surfaced of her confronting Angela Magana for talking shit online. Uh, Cyborg clipped her in the face. Then you have Magana going and threatening to sue her. Uh, assault and battery charges against Cyborg. Pretty crazy. What do you make of that whole yeah, drama? I, yeah, I think it's Magana trying to make her name relevant still by by keep coming out and saying she's going to press charges i also like that frankie edgar was like i can't get my head around a fighter pressing charges after talking shit online yeah right like (laughs) it's like one of the most ridiculous things you've ever heard uh and then you had um cyborg a lot of rumors, you know, who's she going to fight? Will it be for the 145-pound title? It comes out that Jermaine Durandamy's management team releases a press release, so to speak, or it was on social media. I don't know why I'm calling it a press release. Basically saying that Jermaine Durandamy will not fight Cyborg because she is a known steroid user. This is some, like, 1980s heel pro wrestling tactics, like the honky-tonk man not wanting to fight, you know, the up-and-coming challenger. This is ridiculous. I, I mean, yeah, you, you can come up with whatever reason you want, 
but in the end, we know it's because you won't want to get punched in the face by Cyborg. And I can't blame you. Who would want to get punched in the face? But at the same time, you're the champ in the UFC. You have to defend your title or you're Vacated. basically dooming your division right now to looking like the worst idea the UFC ever it's had. It's like, who are you to even say? You're 1-0 at featherweight in the UFC. 1-0 at featherweight in a very lackluster performance. And it's a, not like you're you're the dominant champion of the 45 division. In a division that was made for Cyborg, and why wouldn't you say that in the lead-up to the fight, you know, or right after it? This comes Once out now. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. And then uh, it comes out, though, that Cyborg, at least this is rumored as of taping, Cyborg will fight Katzengano in late July. Your thoughts? Yeah, I kind of hate that fight, mostly just because... I feel like Kat Zingano, first of all, she's good at 35. Do I think she has the size or muscle to handle 45s? I don't. You know, and maybe it's an easier cut for her, and that's why she's thinking about it. Maybe it's the money fight for her, and that's what she's thinking about. But, I mean, she's got to be back at, at the, the weight class that makes the most sense to her. Um, and, and I think that's 35. Uh, on top of that, I just, like, don't understand why are we going to have a cyborg fight that's not for a title. It, it just baffles me. Yeah, right? I feel it, like it's confusing. I was, I was happy about the Megan Anderson rumors. And then, yeah, Katzengano. Yeah, what, what, what are we doing with Megan Anderson? Why are we playing her like this? I, I don't know. And I'm kind of sick of asking questions about the UFC's featherweight uh, women's featherweight division. Uh, here's something we can talk about Roy Nelson is now a Bellator fighter I know that's your boy I am a huge Roy Nelson fan like unabashedly a giant Roy Nelson fan but you you have to imagine that this is a a a good career move for him because you know it's not like he was going to beat everybody in the UFC and be probably a good good move for his paycheck right because you have to imagine at this point in time Bellator who he's, you know, Scott Coker is going to pay way more than Dana White, who I feel like has never liked Roy Nelson he hasn't. anyway. Right? He's like, been on record with that. Yeah, so, I, I mean, this is a good move for him in every sense of the world. He can fight, you know, Czech Congo. He can fight... Matt you know, Mitrione, maybe Fedor. Right, and, and, and there's all fights there that make sense for him and in the end are going to get him paid better and probably going to keep him safer than fighting the killers at, at in the U.S. I was going to say, he's 2-5 and five in his last seven. Well, he's and, 40 years old. And here's a fun little stat, too. You know, I, I can't remember where I read this, but it was on Twitter somewhere and I verified the, the information, but... Of all of his wins in the UFC, I think he's something. He's got like something like eight wins in the UFC. Mm-hmm. In his eight wins in the UFC, one of those guys is still employed by the UFC. Right. The only one who's still employed is Stefan Struve. Right. And, and you know, like if that's true, you know, like how much water do your wins hold at, at a certain point? Right. Like knocking out Dave Herman. Like what does that mean anymore? I'm with you, man. I, I'm fine with this move. If there was ever a fighter, you know, I, I wish I could have Rory McDonald back in the UFC. I'm not losing sleep over the fact that Roy Nelson will be fighting under the, the Bellator banner. No, I think it'd be more fun. Uh, KSW, the promotion in Poland, uh, ran a show this weekend. You had their best fighter, Mohamed Khalidov. He beat Boris Mankowski. But the amazing part about this was it apparently drew... 58,000 fans at a stadium in Warsaw, Poland. Of course, I'd like someone like a Dave Meltzer to verify this. That's what the promotion is boasting. But you know what? Even if it's over 50, hats off to them. Yeah, that's crazy numbers. And I've heard from a couple of people that in Poland, KSW is actually bigger than UFC. Damn. Like putting together a big KSW show is going to beat UFC every night. 
which is is crazy to me because you know it's like hard to wrap your head around that because UFC is bigger in England than Cage Warriors and it's bigger than Jungle Fight in Brazil and mm-hmm. it's bigger than this place, this place, and this place. So it's weird to me that there is one country in the world where there's a promotion bigger. Um, and kind of interesting to me too. And it also explains why we've never seen somebody like Khalidov move over to the UFC. Cause that guy is so good. They're probably paying him loads of money, especially yeah. if they're getting 58,000 people in that stadium. <laughs> but that dude's got legit wins on his record. He beat Jesse Taylor, JT money off of this current season. I love of the Jesse Ultimate Taylor. Fighter. Yeah. He beat, uh, Kendall, the spider grove. Mm-hmm. He beat, um, Nick Barnett recently by like 30 second KO. I mean, like this is a guy who's like one of the best guys not owned by the UFC. So, uh, yeah, it's it's wild to think that they put that many people in a stadium. I, I mean, I'm just always happy when there's competition out there. I think it's good for the fighters, Absolutely. and uh, it's kind of cool when, you know, the kind of like back in the days of Pride where you'd wait for the DVD to come out <laughs> or maybe you'd order the pay-per-view at 4 a.m. live from Japan. Sometimes it, it's cool when it's a promotion, you know, in another country. So I would like to check out a KSW fight myself at some point. All right, last little tidbit here, Gumby. It's a rumor right now, but nonetheless, we like to talk about rumors. Francis Naganu versus JDS, Rumored for August. Your thoughts? Uh, first of all, I would say that that seems quick for JDS to come back, right? Like, how many months ago did he fight? Uh, like, last week. Yeah, I mean, like, he fought very recently, <laughs> it right? Was, uh, mid-May. Mid-May, yeah. So he fought mid-May, and he's going to be back in August. And not, like, an easy performance in mid-May, either. That's not, like, a 12-second knockout. I love the matchmaking. I'm questionable about the timing. Uh, but I think that that's a better person to match... Naganu up then with like you know it, it was rumored before that Cain Velazquez might get the Naganu fight I, I want to see him against a striker still you know like I, I don't mean to sound like a non-believer in, in Francis Naganu but like I feel like the first grappler he fights should not be Cain Velazquez right well, I think a junior dos Santos right Wait. yeah that's what I mean so like junior dos Santos another striker maybe we're like weaning oh, him you, into the grappling realm a little want, okay I see what you're saying I want you, a striker I'm wait. I'm a little confused. Hold on. You want a striker? Junior Dos Santos is very good at striking. Yeah, yeah, he's the, got good boxing. Yeah, yeah. So I like this match. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you like but it? I, okay. I, I mean, originally somebody had booked him with thought about booking him with Cain Velasquez. I thought he needed to be sort of led down the road okay. of fighting a grappler at some point in time. Right? The Black Beast is a way better grappler than anybody he's fought. That would be a nice way to segue into Cain Velasquez. I also like him. Against a really good Wait, striker. Uh, the Black Beast? Yeah, Derek Lewis. Is a better grappler than anyone he's fought? Yeah, who else has he fought that grapples, dude? I, I don't think the Black Beast grapples. I mean, he does. He get, he takes down and lays down on you. Yeah, I mean, you're, he's not okay, like, yeah, he's not like a submission okay, grappler. Yeah, he's I, not like Gary Tone in it heavyweight. I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. And you know what? To your point, there aren't really like a lot of wrestling-based heavyweights anymore, no, right? We, There's we Kane. talked about that with Tim Johnson. Yeah, Tim, you're right. Tim Johnson's like the, I mean, and Tim Johnson, was, was he like a Juco? champ or something i mean yeah i want to say juco or d2 or something like that yeah, yeah so there aren't like yeah there's not like that brock lesnar that's gonna just take you down and you know ground and pound you and then even like a frank Mir, who's like a submission specialist is there a heavyweight submission specialist right now uh 
Exactly. Alexio Linick. Okay. But he's 44 years old or some (laughs) damn thing. Well, Francis Naganu, nonetheless, whoever you want to see him fight next, the bottom line is he's an exciting up-and-coming prospect, and he's someone that I got to talk to about with John Wood, head coach of Syndicate MMA. We love having John Wood on the show. He's one of the brightest minds in MMA today, and I will play that interview for you now. But before I do that, I want to tell you that this interview is brought to you by Band Coffee. Gumby, let me ask you a question. What do you think, what's a coffee that has the most amount of caffeine in the world? Just throw any guess out there. Starbucks. Wrong. You're wrong. Band Coffee has the most caffeine out of any coffee in the world. It actually has more than three times the amount of caffeine than your standard energy drink. Check out Band Coffee on their website. It's bandcoffee.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D coffee.com. You can also order it on Amazon. Band Coffee brings you our interview with Syndicate head coach, John Wood. This is David Tremonti with Top Turtle Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and I have the pleasure of speaking to John Wood, head coach of Syndicate MMA. John, thank you so much for setting aside some time and speaking with us again. How are you doing tonight? How's uh, Las Vegas treating you on this spring day? Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's uh, great. It's uh, busy, busy, busy. Very uh, Lots of stuff going here, so everything's, everything's going good, finishing up tail end of a couple camps and we're about to kick into full gear here shortly and yeah i know uh next week you're going to be going to brazil and and we'll get to your uh your fighters in a second i wanted to uh get some stuff out of the way first um fighters who might not actually be officially part of syndicate but i wanted to ask you about nonetheless um Amanda Nunez finished up her training camp when she was fighting Ronda Rousey in December at Syndicate. What was that like working with her? Um, what was your big takeaway from that? And is there any work uh, planned in the future for her? Um, Amanda's awesome. I've known Amanda for a little bit. She's been coming in and out of the gym for a couple of years, just doing her own thing, and then had the pleasure of uh, finishing up her last camp. And just, just helping out this last one was just, you know, just they had already kind of done all the work, so I was just, just there. I, I've always really liked Amanda. She's always been a total sweetheart and um, love Nina too. And, and uh, super fun to work with. So I was just, you know, kind of just going over stuff that they wanted to go over and just helping out. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a pleasure being part of, part of that. And um, yeah, you know, we've talked about it and it's, it's really kind of up to her. She's got her thing, you know, American top team, and this is kind of her for sure Vegas home. And, and she's always welcome here. And it, you know, I think she's going to probably the next fight being being in uh, Vegas again, there's potential for that to happen. But, um, you know, I'm just kind of waiting to hear on her, and I, I'm here anytime she wants me. And, uh, yeah, it was it, it's awesome. I think she's a great fighter and a great, talented, super talented fighter to work with. So I, I enjoyed it, and I would love to do it again. Absolutely. I mean, her progression uh, just these last few years has been so awesome to watch, and I, I thought it was very cool for you guys to be a part of. I mean, that was a very historically, you know, significant fight as, you know, she defended her title for the first time and beat, you know, the the queen of the welterweight division, Ronda Rousey. And, and now it's a very interesting fight coming up with uh, Shevchenko. What do you make of that matchup? They they fought once before. Nuna, Nunes won uh, via decision, but a lot of people gave Shevchenko the third round as Nunes maybe started to tire. What, what do you think of that, that matchup in July? Um, you know... They're both super tough fighters. Sachenko's a great fighter. I think Amanda is a much better, much more well-improved, well, 
rounded fighter with with uh, better cardio than their last fight. And I, I mean, you know, that that's always been kind of something that they've, you know, the, the one knock on Amanda is maybe her cardio, but I think that's improved. And I think she's taken her, her training and her, you know, just work ethic and everything to the next level. And, and I don't see it really going any other way, to tell you the truth. Amanda's mm-hmm. a beast. She, she hits like a truck. She's got great jiu-jitsu, super athletic. Um, you know, and that's not just favoritism because I like her, but I, I, you know, I would truly nine times out of ten, I'll, I'd give her that fight. And I just don't think, unless she has a very off night, um, I just don't see, I don't see it going any other way. She's very focused and very, you know, she, she's, she's going to stay the champ, I think, for for quite some time. Uh, absolutely, very fair assessment. Um, now there is a uh, free agent, so to speak, uh, when it comes to the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, not a free agent in terms of looking for a new fight promotion, but looking for a new gym. It recently came out that Francis Naganu, uh, the five and O prospect at, at heavyweight in the UFC five and O coming off a massive knockout over Andre Arlovsky. He's recently moved to Vegas. Can you confirm, deny, has, has he stopped by taking a test drive of syndicate MMA? And, and obviously I'm sure that's someone you'd, you'd like to work with, right? Uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to work with the guy? He's, you know, he's an incredible athlete, size, speed, talent, everything is there. Um, I've, I've had a couple conversations with him. He's, he's come to the gym and he actually, he didn't hear the other day, but he was, uh, he was, you know, he was actually in the kids class playing around with the kids and doing that thing. So, <laughs> wow. um, yeah, yeah. He's an awesome guy. I love kids. Like the first time I, I met him, he, he took my kid right out of my hands and, took my baby and started playing with him and I helped with him because there's nothing I could do about it at all of course (laughs) but no Francis is a very nice guy um super athlete obviously yes I would absolutely love to work with him um but that's ultimately his decision the you know the way we work here at syndicate and why we've built such a good strong team and family is that you know i want guys to want to be here and i want it to fit with our gym and our mold and my coaching um in style and things like that so it, i really always you know i want us to sell ourselves i'm not a big like oh gonna go out and try to recruit a bunch of guys and 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 try to make people want to be here. I want people to want to be here because then it becomes long-term relationships and, and long-term loyalties, and and uh, that's really what's been happening lately. And obviously, like I said, Francis, absolutely, I would love to work with a guy who's just got that much talent and, and so much far, so much more room to grow. Um, but yeah, ultimately, that's up to him. And hopefully, uh, yeah, love to have him here. Yeah, well, that that's absolutely well said, and, and something to certainly keep an eye on to see where Nagani lands. Um, now, you mentioned, you know, you're not one to go and sell the gym, and you know, you you let it speak for itself. And and here's a perfect test case in that. You, I mean, what you've done with Roxanne Modafari has been uh, nothing short of spectacular. She has credited you with essentially saving her career. She's coming off a huge win in a great fight back at Invicta 23 just here recently over Sarah Delello. Um, the graphics for the fight, actually, as Roxanne was walking into the cage, listed her fighting style as Big Wood MMA, which <laughs> she said was a nod to you, obviously, her coach. Yeah. Uh, what's yeah. it been like just to see this progression for Roxanne? What What's been like the biggest changes that you've seen as you've come to kind of mold her into the fighter she is now? So, 
Wardrobe Roxy has been one of my favorite things of all time as a coach and experience to take somebody who's, you know, had so many ups and downs and is a, is a legend in her, you know, in, in, in women's mixed martial arts, a pioneer, someone who's been there and been through the ups and been through the downs and people probably, you know, pretty much wrote her off and counted her out, especially, you know, even after the ultimate fighter run said she was done. Um, as a coach, for me, I try to look at, I never try to make somebody fit my style. I have been blessed enough. I've been doing MMA for about 20 years, and I never really had my uh, a set coach where I learned a certain specific style underneath, you know, and had to be this way. And that's where I feel a lot of coaches have certain parameters which they work within and won't go outside of. For me, I've kind of tested the waters with every kind of martial art, every kind of system built been working the last four, five, six, seven years on building my own unique system and how I do things. So what I like to do is find somebody when I get somebody like Roxanne and mold myself to their needs, what she needs, what I think I look at her body style, her type, how is they a power fighter? Are they speed fighter? Are they this? Are they that? And really find out what they want. When Roxy got here, you know, on the mat, she's just doing a ton of shit that she didn't know why. But it worked. It was ugly as hell, but it worked, and there were some things that she was doing. So what I've worked on, and somebody said, somebody the quote I found the best the other day is, uh, Roxy looked, hit her with everything, looked like a, a hit her with an awkward box of hammers, you know, just like it was. <laughs> yes. <terrible. laughs> right. You know, like, and so what I did is just really tried to keep her awkward, keep her in her style, but figure out why, let her know why she's doing things, what the purpose is, how the things are, and Roxy's not a, a power fight. She's actually developing power and developing speed and developing this as we go. We've progressively gotten better. But more of a pinpoint accuracy, you know, kind of chip away, a well-timed, well-placed punch, a well-timed, you know, when somebody's not expecting it and just kind of outworking the opponent every round. And now she's getting into the finishes and power and she's really, she's added to her athletic training, bringing personal trainers in and, and doing some stuff there. So she's giving me more to work with. But she's like a sponge, man. She came in from day one and just said, do what you need to do, and we meshed really well. And that's that's a big thing, you know, if you look at most coaches and people it's, you know, that are successful, they have a bond with the coach. And me and Roxy hit it off pretty good, and she just loves to learn it. Everything you teach her, she will try the next time in training. She'll try it for this. And then we'll go back to the drawing board and say, hey, were you having success with this? Were you having success you know, with that, what works, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And she just learns every time. And now it's every fight. Like, you know, she's like, hey, you know, the last fight she finished, uh, she had a fight outside of Invicta, and she finished that on the, uh, you know, ground and pound arm bar. And she looked phenomenal. But she had tough time with ground and pound. She's like, hey, first, first, first day we got back on Monday, she's like, let's work some ground and pound. Teach me some ground and pound stuff. Literally everything we went over that day, she implied in this last fight. Mm. And it worked great. She came back to me that the next day after this fight, what do you think I need to get better at? What do you think? And I'm, you know, and I'm kind of racking my brain now. I told her, I said, man, let's just keep doing what you're doing. You know, it's, it's working. And so it's been phenomenal. And I, I, and I owe a lot to her as a coach to, you know, she's built me and helped, you know, she's put my name out there and, and it's a great, you know, it's a great thing. And it's a super proud moment to have, you know, especially over a, an opponent like Sarah, who was just a monster and was supposed to just destroy Roxy, 
Um, you know, right. but I, I knew that, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. So I, I know from speaking to, to Roxy on a separate occasion, she really credits you. I mean, with everything you just said, and she's talked about the symbiotic relationship you guys have. Um, but the striking has just come along so much uh, under your tutelage, and uh, it's awesome to see. Now we saw on social media she was at the tough tryouts. Uh, they're doing the 125 pound division. I don't know how much you could reveal about that, but obviously it'd be a nice logical step for her now that they're open up the 125 division supposedly in the UFC um you know for her to go back in that tough house and and try to make a name for herself at 125 in the UFC right yeah uh, you know Roxy was very like a goal of hers is always to have a UFC win to get that and she's been I mean it, it's it's been she's been stressed you know like making it as a fighter is, is tough. Fortunately, Invicta is an awesome show and we've got a great relationship with Invicta and they've been super work, you know, super great to work with and, and really help building the girls and the 125 division since there hasn't been one, you know, and the money's good and everything's good and the relationship, but, you know, just kind of a personal goal of Roxy's to get that win in the UFC and, and try to make a run at it. You know, she's, I mean, has to be, top five for sure in the world, if not top three, um, you know, at the, at that weight. And, you know, she wants to make a run just like everybody else does on the big stage. She's, you know, she's getting up there in, in fighter years, you know, she's actually really, um, feels better than she ever has. We've been doing a lot of maintenance work and doing stuff to improve and keep her young and healthy. And she feels better than she ever has, but you know, to be realistic, she's 34 years old. So we gotta, we gotta make some moves and do some stuff. And, and it's, it, she's kind of, I think right now in her prime. So going to the UFC would be a phenomenal, phenomenal thing for her. And I think she'd make a good run at it, man. And I think she's got a great story. It's like that Rocky story. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, hopefully she makes it on the show, which I have no doubt that she will. And we come out as a tile, man. What better story than that? I mean, who wouldn't want to see Roxy? Like, I mean, Roxy is just a great person any way you cut it. And what you see in her lightheartedness and how she does the, the costumes and all that stuff. You know, I'm talking about it the other day. The whole costume thing, that's not even just the build height. She just likes to dress up in costumes, man. That's, that's <laughs> Roxy, you know? She's just that way. Like, she just likes to have fun and do the stuff and... So, I, I, yeah, I think we're going to, you know, if that's the direction that they decide to do with the show, I think we're going to get in there, and I think she's going to end up, you know, world champ in the UFC. Absolutely, uh, and very well said. And, yeah, if you go by uh, tapology.com, um, you know, the 125-pound female ranking, she is ranked number one in the world. Um, you right. know, very impressive. Uh, now, you do have two fighters in the UFC fighting next weekend, and I want to talk about them real quick. Uh, Eric Spicely is 2-1 and one in the UFC he has two submission wins in the UFC, and he's fighting Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, basically a veteran at this point. He has seven UFC fights on his record, also very good on the ground, just like Eric. This is a step up in competition for Eric, but certainly not like a massive leap. What do you make of this matchup? Uh, Eric got out here. Eric, um, you know, kind of the same thing. He came off a tough 23 season, so we've actually tried to work a couple times, and it just didn't work out for this camp. He finally got out here. And, you know, all I've heard about him is how good his ground game is and his stand-up sucks and very, very, very Roxy-esque type of situation where, like, take this guy who's supposedly not supposed to be a, a stand-up guy and he, his skill set, man, you know, when I break guys down, I look at what they can and can't do, their capabilities, and, and Eric has actually become a, a, an extremely proficient striker within a short period of time. 
Um, obviously, yes, he's supposed to. I mean, Eric was brought into. Let's let's be honest. He's brought in to lose every fight that he's had. He's brought in there as a filler. Brought in there as a guy to get beat up and you know lose. And he he beat uh, Tiago. You know, as a ranked super uh, tough opponent and beat a couple. You know, the, you know the other guy. I forget who it was, but um, another great tough opponent that he's supposed to lose to. Alessio de Chirisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but uh, <laughs> True Face. Is I would for sure say his biggest opponent yet, um, and big guy, big guy, great jiu-jitsu world champion. You know, trains at ATT, has phenomenal you know training partners, camp, everything. We're expecting a hell of a of a you know of a fight, but uh, man, you know, Spicely has has been one of the guys who's probably impressed impressed me the, the most lately out of all the guys I've worked with in, the, in a while who has just become, you know, same thing, sponge, willing to learn, loves doing this. He's in here all the time. He's in great shape. Um, his hand, he hits like a truck too, man. He got, he, the dude hits hard. His jujitsu is slick. I think, I mean, it's going to be a hell of a fight, man. I really think that Eric's going to go out there and, and shock people once again. I agree. And uh, I think it's one of the more uh, evenly matched, exciting fights on, on that UFC 212 card. Um, you also have Jamie Moyle, who's 1-0 in the UFC strawweight division. Um, she's fighting Vivian Pereira. Uh, and, you know, the strawweight division is actually one of the more exciting divisions in, in the UFC right now. Um, what do you make of Jamie's progression? And, and what are you thinking about that matchup heading into next weekend? Uh, another tough, hungry girl. Got a young, you know, Brazilian fighter, 12-0, undefeated. Um, obviously, a big win off of Valerio Turno, and she's a baller, man. She's scrappy. She's gonna come out there. She's a little ball of muscle, and we expect her to to bring it. You know, the thing is, is people always underestimate Jamie in the sense of you know looking. Jamie's usually the much smaller opponent, so this is a different. You know, I think we're actually the taller opponent for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a different thing, but I think. Skill set wise, Jamie's uh, really good on the ground, and she is willing to. She's super strong, and she's got great stand up. She's willing to trade and bang. We're going to try to have a, a good, smart fight. Um, I expect there to be a lot of fireworks. I don't expect it to go three rounds. Um, and you know, once again, obviously, we train to win. So my my money's on Jamie, and I think it's going to be. I think you're going to. You know, I think that one's going to be a fight of the night potential because the thing is with Jamie, there ain't no quit in her man. She will scrap you to the death. So um, I think that's going to be a hell of a fight, man. But I, I'm pretty uh, positive that we're going to come out on top of that one. Nice. Um, another one of your fighters, uh, Mike Pyle, everyone's favorite MMA mullet. Uh, he yeah. hasn't fought since December. I believe that was the last fight on his UFC contract. I don't know if you could speak to that, but any insight on his future? Haven't heard about any fights coming up. You know, right now he's taking some time off. He's still on the UFC roster. Um, he's been doing actually a lot of stuntman work and doing some things and, and acting in movies and, and uh, just taking some time and he was spending some time with his family and now he's just working. And, and uh, I... I I think he's going to fight again at some point. I don't want to speak for him, mm-hmm. but you know, I believe that it has been a, uh, a, you know, a something that he's made mention of, and he's definitely not retired. Um, had a, you know a couple bad breaks with some stuff going on, you know, in the fights lately. But I think that you know he wants to make another uh, decent try at, at getting out there and, and beating some boys up. And you know, Mike's one of the most slickest, savviest veterans. 
stand-up and ground guys, one of the best ground guys, I've, best MMA guys I've ever worked with, if not the best, one of the most knowledgeable guys in the, in the business. And just, uh, you know, he's great to have around. And he's one of them guys, man, if you're rolling with him or training with him, he just beats the shit out of you and <laughs> makes you feel horrible and just relentless. So he's got the capabilities and the stuff to still go out there and perform at a super high level. And, you know, I, I think you'll see him back in there. All right. Very interesting. And can you give us a name of someone maybe under the radar at your gym that we should look out for? Um, you know, maybe an up and comer you could point us to, to, to keep our eye on. Well, this last weekend, um, we had, uh, Julian Marquez, um, fought LFA and, and knocked out camels. And I think in the first round, uh, first minute, and a big KO in LFA. He's five and one. He knocked out Matt Hamill in his last fight, first round or second round. Um, up and comer, real, real tough kid. He's, uh, I think you'll be, you know, seeing him in some some pretty big shows here coming up. Lots of up and comers. Donovan Freelo, uh, well, actually, he's Khalil Roundtree's brother um, at mm. 25-35. His only two losses are short notice fights to step up and fight, you know, World Series champs. But went five rounds. His last, uh, he, he stepped up a weight class on ten days notice, and fought at thirty five on ten days notice and went the distance with the champ. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before he gets in, you know, gets in the big show. He's another talented. I mean, we got so many young up and talented, uh, up and uh, up and coming talented people. You know, Jessica Rose Clark, Jesse Jess. She's out here now. Um, just you know, she just tried out for the Ultimate Fighter, so I, I think she's got a good shot at getting on there and uh, making some waves. You know, we we've got about forty, fifty fighters out of here constantly, and a lot of a lot of names coming through now, and a lot of people is you know starting to roll through and, and camp right now is phenomenal. We got Josh Dansbury out here with a fight coming up, and Khalil Roundtree with a fight coming up, and I think you're going to see big things from both of those guys. So a lot yeah. of good stuff. Yeah, and Roundtree coming off a big win with those uh, KO knees uh, was very nice to see. And I also have to say that uh, Julian Marquez, 5-1, and one, uh, Sure Dog lists his nickname as the Cuban Missile Crisis, so he's kind of one of my favorite fighters automatically right now. Yeah. What a cool nickname. Um, <laughs> I did want to ask you, uh, and real quick, we'll wrap up here very soon, uh, the UFC opened their performance center in Vegas or unveiled it last weekend at the Fighter Summit. Does that affect, you know, is that going to siphon potentially fighters off of, say, you or Extreme Couture? Is that a good thing? Is it bringing more talent to the area? I don't know the dynamics behind it, but what's up with that UFC performance center in Vegas? Is it a... Is no, it... Um, all my guys have been over there the last few days. It's a, it's a phenomenal uh, training center. The weight training, athletic training is, is, I mean, who they have over there, the therapists and the instructor. Like, it's, it's great for the fighters that way. Um, strength and conditioning, great. The recovery is, is great. Uh, the gym itself is beautiful. I mean, there's really nothing like it. But as far as there's no coaches over there, there's nobody okay. there. They, you know, they, they want to kind of stay bi bipartisan. They had talked about bringing in coaches and stuff, and I, you know, talk, spoke to them. But they were basically, you know, kind of to stay, you know, not biased towards anybody and have a certain coach working with one guy and then maybe next week working with the opponent, they decided to just, you know, it's going to be a kind of a bring your own coach type of situation. Right. Um, so no, it doesn't affect us. It actually helps us. We're working with, with them. You know, I take, I've taken my athletes over there a couple of times and they're over there. They're doing the diets. There's a lot of stuff for the fighters who potentially, you know, the Vegas fighters for sure, the fighters coming into Vegas and, and training and stuff will have a, a great place to 
to train if they have their own staff. I mean, they have a full-time strength and conditioning coach over there, very, very, very good guy. Um, so that kind of stuff and recovery and, and physical therapy and all that stuff, they, they, you're going to be, I mean, top-notch. You know, um, so really, will it affect us? Not at all. Will it help us? I mean, I think it's going to bring a lot of talent in. And there's, I mean, any fighter who wants to come out here and have a superior strength and conditioning coach and, and, a, and, a, and a health program, somebody, a dietitian who's cooking your food every day, your breakfast and lunches, putting you on all that stuff. Like anybody who wants to get the, like, you know, the next level of training, um, yeah, it's going to help them a lot. But, you know, yeah, they're going to have to settle probably, you know, they'd have to come out here and, and pick a gym, which would probably be, you know, syndicate us, which were the best or you know, tours. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think it's going to help. You're going to see a lot of guys that will move out here and work with us. You know, I think, you know, obviously Couture's and us, we have the top, top gyms in, in Vegas and, you know, a couple top gyms out there. So, um, yeah, I just think that, uh, it's definitely not going to hurt anybody at all. It'll probably add to us. Add and to wind it, yeah. up, you know, it's more on yeah. the, it's the performance side with rehab and strength and conditioning. It's not so much, you know, technique performance. Uh, it's more bring your own coach, as you said. So that, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, yeah. I mean, they have some, they have, their octagon is awesome. We were just over there. So they have a fully, like their octagon is set with cameras to where the entire, your entire, uh, pad session can be broken down. Um, where your feet are, where you're, how you're moving, what you're doing, all this stuff. Like it, it's, it, there's some great tools over. You can go into a room and and research, you know, your your technique and stuff. And it's just, it's super cool. But um, yeah, it's still, like I said, you're gonna you're gonna have to need to have your coach. So BYO coach. Um, all right, last yep. question here. I feel like I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask this. Um, it's at the top of everyone's mind, and I'd love to get your opinion on the potential boxing match of Connor versus Floyd from you know one of the premier MMA coaches in the game. What's your take on that? You know, opinions range everywhere from it's a farce to Connor has a shot if he catches him early in you know rounds one or two. What, what's your take on it? I mean, it's for sure happening is it ridiculous <laughs> i mean it's a super fight that obviously it's not ridiculous because everybody in the world's talking about it yes it's going to do amazing numbers um do i think connor do I, it has a chance uh, i mean connor's connor he's got a lot of power he can hit hard he can do stuff you know that other a lot of other fighters can't but boxing we're talking about going up against the world's best counterfighter, one of the world's best, most skilled athletes in that sport, somebody who's been doing it since he was probably four years old from a family who was doing it for 40 years before that. And, dude, I don't give a shit what you say, how old the guy is at 40. That dude is still going to go through and smoke most of everybody out there in MMA and boxing and anything. So – do I see Connor winning that fight? No, I, I would say that, uh, you know, unless Floyd has really taken a step back, um, I just think you, you know, you're playing, you're, you're playing his sport that he's, I mean, the best the in best. the world at. Now yeah. you go into an MMA fight. Yeah. Connor kicked the shit out of him in 30 seconds, a boxing fight. Who knows, but it is Connor and he has pulled out a bunch of crazy stuff, but I, I don't see, 
see that. I don't see MMA prevailing in that one. Yeah, understood. Well, interesting. I'm glad I at least got your perspective on it. Um, I'm just always interested to hear from a coaching perspective what they what they make of that. Um, so, John, we can't thank you enough for the time. I kept you longer than I, I said I would. Uh, sin Syndicate has two fighters fighting at UFC 212, Jamie Moyle and Eric Spicely. Definitely check them out. And, John, uh, it's always great catching up with you, and, and best of luck uh, in Brazil next weekend. Yeah, thank you very much, man. I, I enjoy coming on and, and chatting with you. There you have it, Gumby. John Wood. Yeah, love talking to that guy. Uh, he's always super, super interesting, and you've got to love the news about Naganu in Vegas to me is exciting anyway because if you're figuring – the dude used to do that kind of crap when he was fighting in, out of some gym in Paris we've never heard of, and now he might be with Syndicate. Think about what news that might actually be. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think it'd be great for Syndicate, and it'd obviously be great for Naganu's career to have you know a local uh, American-based MMA club or MMA gym, I should say, with top-level competition coming yeah, in for and a him. hell of a striking coach, and not that his striking needs a ton of balishing, <laughs> but a hell of a striking coach. Well, it, I mean, we just talked about it. Have we seen his wrestling get tested yet? Not really, not right? Not really, yeah. And I, I think now that he's in Vegas, you got to expect either whatever team he joins or whatever trainer he hooks up with, I mean, is just going to be adding that much to his wrestling game. All right, well, here's a shock. A very forgotten card is happening this weekend. It's UFC 212 in Brazil. It does have a hell of a co-main event, actually. I'm excited about both the top two fights. Uh, and we'll start with the main event, which is Jose Aldo defending his featherweight title against Max Holloway, the interim champ. I mean, we've said it to death. What the men's featherweight division has gone through with Connor giving up the title or being forced to give up the title and the interim champion not giving up the title, according to him. <laughs> um, I'm happy that hopefully this will kind of get the division going back on the right track. Jose Aldo is coming off a very impressive performance last summer at UFC 200 against Frankie Edgar, really the best he's looked uh, in in two years, I'd say, because even the Chad Mendez fight, which was uh, three fights ago, uh, I thought Chad did a wonderful job in, and then Conor McGregor slept him in 12 seconds. So Jose Aldo is 2-1 and one in his last three and coming off a masterful performance against Frankie Edgar. I've never seen Frankie Edgar that frustrated. Max Holloway is on a surging 10-fight win streak he just beat anthony pettis via tko body kicks and punches back in december to win this interim title he's beaten ricardo lamas in the streak jeremy stevens charles oliviera cub swanson cole miller clay collard andre feely will chope really it was the pettis fight though for the title that would be the biggest name also outlasting jeremy stevens who's such a hard hitter and ricardo lamas as well but i mean what more can you really say about max holloway he is surging at just the right time He's beaten everybody he's supposed to be. And, uh, I mean, this fight, to me, is so difficult to call because I've kind of been a Max Holloway naysayer my whole life. You know, like, just about any one of those fights you mentioned, I mean, with the exception of some of the really early ones, like the Will Chope fight. Like, I, you know, I had Max Holloway in that one. I think the coming out party was probably when he beat Cub Swanson. Yeah, I mean, and it, it depends on what you think, though, because, like, to me, just about every one of his performances is a coming out fight. To me, because like when I think back to it, when he first fought Andre Feely, I was like, the dude's a good prospect, but he's not an Andre Feely good prospect. Because Feely was huge then. Like, I was really big on him. 
And, and he made him look like a fool. And, and you could say the same thing for, you know, the Cub Swanson fight, the Jeremy Stevens fight. You're like, oh, yeah, he's good. I believe he's good. But is he that good? Oh, he's good. He's good. But is he Cub Swanson good? Is he Jeremy Stevens good? Is he Anthony Pettis good? And now he is. He is Anthony Pettis good. I find myself in this fight being feeling like a naysayer again, too, because I don't think he's fast enough for, for Jose Aldo. Uh, I agree completely with you. I think jo- after what I saw to Jose Aldo last summer, if it's that Jose Aldo, the way he can step back, um, avoid takedowns from a guy like Frankie Edgar, clip people as they're coming in, the old Jose Aldo mixing in the kick so masterfully. You know, I think Holloway's striking is funky. It's unique. Um, it surprises me every time. But when you really dive into the win streak, I mean, listen, uh, Charles Oliveira was a freaky neck injury. I would have liked to see how that fight played out. Charles Oliveira is a great striker, right? Jeremy Stevens, yeah, he got a unanimous decision win. Ricardo Lamas, I would have expected him to beat Ricardo Lamas. Pettis... It's not that same Pettis, right? Well, well, yeah, and and it should be noted that Pettis recently came out, uh, I want to say it was a Bloody Elbow article, and said in an interview with Bloody Elbow uh, that he missed weight in that by like three pounds or four pounds or something like that, Mm -hmm. and he said he couldn't even walk to the scale without help. And also, I think, broke his hand in the second round. I don't mean to keep making excuses, but I think based on the body of work, if you want to tell me Jose Aldo's on his way down and older and Max Holloway's on, on his way up, sure, I buy it. But I think just based on everything I've seen, and if the Jose Aldo who showed up against Frankie Edgar last summer, I'm picking Jose in this. Sports books, they don't know who the frick to pick. Both of them are minus 110 on five dimes. If you go over to Bavada, you could get Jose Aldo at minus 150 and Holloway at plus 120. But most sports books, I think, have this, you know, as a pick em, basically. Yeah, and that's, it's really crazy to think about that, too, just mostly just based on the fact that, you know, like I said, this guy's on a 10-fight win streak, and he keeps proving us wrong, and I think that's why people have so much faith in him. All right, the co-main event is very exciting because it's really uh, it's before uh, Jessica Andrade. It's the former two title challengers against Joanna in that women's strawweight division. You have Claudia Gadelia facing Carolina Kowalkowicz, really the two girls who have put Joanna to the test mm-hmm. the most in, in Joanna's career. Claudia is two and one in her last three. She's coming off a win over Courtney Casey back in November of 2016, lost to Joanna last summer via decision and beat Jessica Aguilar uh, back in August of 2015. Carolina Kowalkowicz, uh, who I say stole that fourth round off of Joanna back at UFC 205, such a good striker right up there with Joanna, but she's coming off a loss to Joanna back at UFC 205 in November. She beat Rose Namajunas before that via split decision in July of 2016 and beat Heather Joe Clark back in May of 2016. In the UFC, she's 3-1. and one. Who you got here, Gumby? I think I'm going to go with Claudia Gedalia, uh, mostly just because, you know, to me, Claudia Gedalia is one of the more dangerous three-round fighters in that women's strawweight division. Good point. Uh, You know, if you look back to her last title fight, or her only title fight, but her her second fight with Joanna Janjacek, if you turn that into a three-round fight, you might have people saying that she won it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. her her first and second round, her grappling is suffocating, um, and she'll get you down a bunch of times. Now, Jan Jacek gets up better than anybody in the biz. I mean, you you have a good wrestler on top of you, that's okay. Jan Jacek doesn't care. I, I'm not sure Kowalkowicz can stay up 
fighting Gedalia enough so that she steals it on the judges' scorecards, and I don't think she can finish her. So I think that this is a fight that favors Gedalia in the fact that she is going to dominate where the fight goes. You know, I agree with you completely, especially at straw weight. You even see it with Joanna for as precise and just masterful a striker she is. She's not going to knock a lot of girls out, and there just aren't a lot of knockouts at 115 yeah, pounds. And, and that that's not a knock on the division by any stretch no, of the imagination. 115-pound dudes aren't knocking people out either. Correct. And that's why I think the three-round uh, point is so big. Also, Claudia, very tough girl. I think of her just like I do Jessica Andrade. I like that she's more well-rounded. Vegas has her as basically a minus 300 favorite to Carolina, plus 250 dog. And I think that's spot on. I think we agree on that. Third from the top, you have Nate Marquardt, a plus 115 dog to Vitor Belfort in what appears to be his last UFC fight as a minus 130 favorite. What are you thinking? Uh, Jesus, I don't know what to think about these two sometimes. Um, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Nate Marquardt on this one just because, I mean, since being off TRT, uh, Vitor Belfort is not Vitor Belfort anymore. And it really, to me, just depends on what kind of game plan Marquardt goes in with. And, and I know he trains with some super high-level guys over – what is he Colorado, he uh, grudge, Matt, I think, Matt, or, or uh, Trevor Whitman. Yeah, Trevor right. Whitman. So yeah, he trains with Trevor Whitman. Uh, super smart game plan guy. If he follows the game plan that Kelvin Gastelum, you know, laid out to beat him, you know, takes him down, beats him up, tires him out, and then he can strike with him if he really wants to. I mean, I think that that's Nate Marquardt's fight to win. If the UFC is ridding itself of maybe higher-priced, older talent that they could just let walk to Bellator, I I could never see another Nate Marquardt or Vitor Belfort fight in in the UFC again and be fine. Really don't care. Sorry, no offense to anyone. That being said, Nate Marquardt with a, uh, I believe he owns a 22nd win over Demian Maya, fun fact. Sure. <laughs> um, Olawale Bangbos is a plus 275 dog to Paulo Boracina, a minus 335 favorite. Your thoughts? Uh, I, I'm just kind of surprised Bangboche uh, is that big of a dog. Not not because I don't think uh, Boracina put in a really good performance in his only UFC fight. And, and you know, Bangboche has shown weaknesses in the grappling. He admitted that to us when we had him on the show. Uh, but I think he, he, like you said, he tried to shore up some of those weaknesses and I don't think Boracina is the kind of guy who's going to wrestle him anyway. So this is, if you're going to watch one fight on this card, whether on replay or while you're watching it live or whatever, this is the fight to watch. This is just going to be a slobber knocker. Strong words. I like it. So you don't think the lion gorilla comes out here. You think this is just going to be a knockout of some kind? I, I think the lion gorilla comes out enough to wrestle him and scare Boracina and get him thinking about the takedown. Okay. That okay. would be a smart game plan in my estimation. All right. Kicking off the pay-per-view, you have Eric Silva, a minus 115 favorite to Yancey Medeiros. Uh, you could also get at minus 105, basically a pick in a lot of sports books. Uh, bookmaker has them both at minus 115. Yeah. It's kind of a weird fight to be leading off the pay-per-view, right? Like, th- this is a, a fight card where I feel like we, we were rumored some really good fights. Didn't happen. And, and yeah, and I, I don't mean to be mean, but I, it didn't really happen. And, and th- that's no knock to to Deancey Medeiros, but this guy is the guy who boxes with the uh, with the Cesar Gracie team. He's got jujitsu with the Cesar Gracie team. Eric Silva is a guy who's wildly inconsistent. Um, I think I'm just gonna go with Yancy Medeiros on this one, just in being less inconsistent than Eric Silva. Uh, basically, the main event of the prelims on Fox Sports One at bantamweight, you have Rafa Sunsau taking on Marlon Moraes. Uh, you could get Marlon Moraes as a minus one eighty five favorite. A Sunsau the plus 160 dog who you got 
I'm surprised that we're seeing Marais as a favorite, being just in the fact that have we ever had a guy make his UFC debut against like a top five? Right, Sun Tzu's top five in the UFC rankings, probably perennial top five. He might not be there right now, but yeah, he's yeah, like a top five guy. So we're seeing a guy make his debut against a top five guy, and yet he's still favorited. Uh, and, and you know, I I think I like him in this one just based on you know the speed, the quickness, the submission game uh, he has. I, I like Moraes here. Um, obviously, the level of competition's low. I mean the the best fight he had arguably is with Josh Hill in World Series of Fighting, but um, I still think he gets it done here. All right. I mean, we spoke with John Wood himself about Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Eric Spicely and Vivian Pereira versus Jamie Moyle. Is there any other fighter or a fight that you really like on this card that someone should go out of their way to see? Yeah, I like uh, Uriel Cantara. I mean, Uriel Cantara, I think, is top 10 in the bantamweight division right now. Although he's also fighting a newcomer in the division. It's going to be Yuri Alcantara, Bantamweight versus Brian Kelleher. Yeah, and Brian Kelleher is a guy from, I know he's an East Coast guy. He fought for CFFC, which is a pretty good promotion. Uh, I think it's mostly out of New Jersey. Um, It'll be interesting to see how he debuts. And to me, this is where the matchmaking gets weird in the UFC's point of view. Rafael Sunsau, Bantamweight, highly ranked. Yuri Alcantara, Bantamweight, highly ranked. Both of them get matched up with newcomers, right. and the newcomers don't get matched up. Mm. I mean, it it speaks to what they feel about Marlon Moraes, but at the same time, you got to feel weird about it, right? Understood. Um, Brian Kelleher, the plus two thirty dog there. Alcantara, highly ranked, as you said, a minus two seventy favorite. Anything else? This is one under just. Uh, underwhelming card. Yeah, not really super excited about this one, especially for pay-per-view. I mean, well, we will end our show on a downer. We are sad (laughs) about UFC 212, but we'll be back next week to recap it, and we'll kick off UFC uh, in the summer. There are some exciting fights coming up. We'll have some exciting interviews. We're so excited to be on Flow Combat. We can't thank you all enough for listening to the show. You can follow us on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA. Look for us on Facebook, Top Turtle MMA. You can email the show, MMA at Gmail. This is Top Turtle MMA. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. We'll be back next week.